Welcome to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. The crossroads where culture, lifestyle, and community meet. All hosted by the legendary New York radio TV personality and proud Harlem American, G. Keith Alexander. Hey, hey, thank you so very, very, very much. Thank you all for joining and welcome to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. Wherever you are, I appreciate you for joining our neighborhood as we hang out together in Harlem, America. Now today in the What's Hot Spotlight is award-winning singer, Gerald Austin. Gerald is the golden voice that led the Manhattans to the top of the charts. Gerald played a pivotal role in propelling the Manhattans to fame with unforgettable hits like Kiss and Say Goodbye and Shining Star, earning them both gold and platinum statuses and a Grammy. So it is my distinct honor and pleasure to say Gerald Austin is what's hot. How are you, Keith? I'm blessed. That's great. That's great. Thank you for making time. I know it's such short notice. Thank you for making time to uh, join us. I've been wanting to do this for quite a while. but We spoke about it a while back. (laughs) That's right. That's right. But we were at um, uh, Sandy Harper's 80th birthday party. Yes. Uh, and last night, and we finally got it uh, uh, hooked up. So thank you so very, very much, Gerald. So um, let's do what all of my guests do. I, I, I put them on the Wayback Machine, and uh, we go back and uh, tell us what it was like growing up as little Gerald Austin. Wow. Well, I grew up in North Carolina, and um, I started singing at a very early age. Excuse my camera keep going back and forth but um i started singing at an early age and i started out singing gospel and my father was a gospel singer mm-hmm. and my late uncle johnny fields who was um the one of the founding members of the five blind boys of alabama mm. and i was in i was located i was always around singers all the time and plus my mother sang and both sides of my family were singers. And I grew up that in that music industry. And I thought that I wanted to be a doctor. Really? <laughs> when I got out, when I graduated from high school, I met the Manhattans. And the rest is history. It certainly is. Well, it, it, you met the Manhattans, uh, but not just met them. You had a singing group called Gerald Austin and the New Imperials or something New like Imperial. that? Yes. And uh, the, the this professional group, the Manhattans, come along and they needed some equipment and they was borrowing equipment from you guys. And that's how exactly. you... In fact... Tell us I, that story. I was going to a junior college, Kittrell Junior College. And um, my professor, my English professor, got asked me during, right after class, could you, you let the Manhattans use your sound equipment? And... Um, I said, sure. I had no idea they were there then. And they were on tour with the Supremes, but they picked did some pickup dates, and that was one of the pickup dates. Mm-hmm. So I ran home, got the system, came back, set it up, and I was singing, um, when we get married, we'll have a big celebration. And they came, after that was, I was checking the system. Mm-hmm. And walked the late Blue Lovett and late Kenneth Kelly, mm-hmm. late Richard Taylor, and they looked at me, and Richard said, this is a godsend. 
<laughs> and so they asked me to open the show, and I did. And they took my name and address after the show. And that Monday, they flew me down to um, uh, Dallas, Texas. And I watched the man has to perform with the Supremes for 10 days. Mm -hmm. I came back and rehearsed for about two weeks. And here I am. Wow. Well, how is it that they had a spot for you? Well, the original lead singer, George Smith, was sick. Mm-hmm. And he was touring with them. And unfortunately, when they left the school, they played A&T College the next day. And they went from Kittrell College, a little small town in next to Henderson. They went to Kitt, uh, A&T. And Smitty had a very bad seizure. Mm-hmm. They had to fly him home. So Blue's cousin was standing in, uh, Philip Flood. Mm-hmm. And he took over and he performed with them in Texas. And I watched Philip perform with the group. But they were kind of prepared for it, but they needed a permanent singer. And I was in the right place at the right time. Now, you guys, I mean, you guys were polished. You had dance moves and uh, and, and, and everything. What was How, how did your life change from, from, from singing at a high school to uh, becoming <laughs> a lead singer for the Manhattans? Well, vocally, and my style of singing fit the group perfectly. Mm-hmm. And um, my problem was that I had been used to singing lead all the time. I didn't sing backup. Mm. And that was an adjustment, but it wasn't bad. And then the choreography came very, came very easy to me. And I think it was because I was excited about doing it and I was ready to do that. So it, it came in. And, and Keith, my very first show was in Richmond, Virginia. Check this out. It was with the Dells, Patty LaBelle and the Bluebells, Fool mm-hmm. in the Game, Willis wow. Easter, Brendan the Tabulations, mm. and we were at the mosque in Richmond. And you, oh my God, place was jam-packed. I was scared to death. <laughs> <laughs> And the Dells gave me a hard time. They teased me. Oh, Marvin Jr. teased me the whole time. Really? Yeah. And we became very good friends, all of us. You know, uh, that must have been a really, uh, like you say, it was scary, but to uh, an awesome experience to be amongst all of those greats uh, at that time. And you were just a newbie. Oh, yeah. Yes, indeed. That was, you know, I, and and the guys, they had confidence in me, and I had confidence in myself. But I was still a little nervous about going up against, you know, perf- performing with all these artists, these great artists, you know. And uh, and at that time, the Dells was hot as a firecracker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so all right. So w- were there any uh, a- as you were growing up? Uh, did you emulate? Uh, anybody uh, trying to get your own style? Did, did you start out emulating any other singer? Yeah, my favorite singer and my mentor was Sam Cooke. And I loved the way he, his sound. And also, Sam Cooke was, had such great diction. Mm-hmm. And he sang songs that everybody could understand. You know, his lyrics told great stories. He was a great storyteller which I found out later from my uncle. Um, 
He was a great storyteller. And he had a way with, with conveying his lyrics to the audience so anybody could understand them. And he sang songs for people. They just weren't, um, uh, to me, they, and I'm going to use this expression, it wasn't just R&B. He mm -hmm. sang songs. And, and that's what I loved about it. All right, so tell me, what happened in 1970? Wow, 1970, that was the year I met the Manhattans at Kittrell. Mm -hmm. I met them in October, and I came back to New York and rehearsed with them. And, of course, that was the first date. And then we recorded. Um, my first record with the Manhattans that I recorded in 1970 was on Deluxe record. And that was our album title, A Million to One. And the mm -hmm. first song that I recorded was One Life to Live. And Blue Lovin' wrote that. <laughs> and um, the, I remember the, ver the very first song we recorded on mm -hmm. that session, though, mm -hmm. was A Million to One. And mm -hmm. Burt Keys produced it. Who did? Burt, Burt Keys. Keys. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I remember walking into the studio and there said um, Bernard Purdy on drums. Oh, great um, Bernard Purdy. Uh, Eric, um, what was Eric's name? Played guitar. Eric Gales. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um, Richie T. Mm -hmm. And all these musicians was in there. And I recorded, he had the whole orchestra. Wow. And he said, you sing in this booth. And he put the Manhattans in another booth. And when they started playing, it was like, I died and gone to heaven. <laughs> one take I did a million to one. Really? Such a such a great song. What what were you feeling at that time? You know, the the, the song, I love the story of the song, but the, the music just touched me. I'd never in my life ever sang with an orchestra. Mm -hmm. And that was my very first time. And to hear the strings and the horns and the backgrounds all blended in so nice around me. It just took me to another level. Um, it was amazing. It was amazing. And I'd rehearsed the song with Ted, Ted Randazzo wrote the song. Uh -huh. I'd rehearsed it at his place quite a few times. So I knew the song very well. Mm -hmm. I knew the story of the song. And when the guys, when the instrument, when the orchestra started, it was like, oh man, nothing like it. For our audience who may not be aware of the Manhattans and Gerald Austin, um, tell us a little bit about the story of A Million to One so that they can go out and they can search it and, and listen to it and say, oh, yeah, that's what he, yeah, we heard about yeah. that. Well, Ted Randazzo, he, had, he wrote for Little Anthony and Imperials, mm -hmm. uh, quite a few of their hits, and we had the same connection. And... Um, so when he wrote A Million to One, he had me come up to his studio. And Ted Randazzo's, um, his, his, his demos were actually a, rec or, uh, actually a recording session because he demoed with strings and horns. Mm -hmm. And um, his arrangement was a little bit different than Bobby Womack, Bobby Womack, than Bobby Martin. And... Um, and the, the story of the song was that I fell in love with this young lady first time I laid eyes on her. 
and um, and I, and and I was cocky. I didn't think it could happen, but she just blew me away the first time. And so I was like, I fell in love with you the moment we met. Never thought that it could happen, and yet here we are, me and you, so in love. And, you know, now everybody that I know stops and stares. Mm-hmm. You know, and and this the song just told a story. Even my friends couldn't believe it. Really? <laughs> yeah, but it, it was like she just blew my mind when I first met her. And the song, that's what the song, um, what I got from the song. And being in love for the first time, mm-hmm. you, know, you know about that first love. And oh, yes. Oh, yes. Your nose is open and <laughs> can't nobody tell you anything. Right. <laughs> and this is what that song did for me. Incredible. So now how did that song do? It did very well. We were with a record company that didn't keep quite good, accurate records. But mm-hmm. it is believed that that was our first gold record at Stardate King. Now, we, you know, I'm sorry, we, never received, but we, we never got a gold record for it. But later on, we found out that it was um, probably our very first gold. Mm-hmm. Now, I, um, I had just gotten my first professional radio gig at uh, WBLS. And um, when I was hired, you know, Frankie said, uh, you're going to be my music librarian and you're going to sit in for me when I take off and you'll be able to do a show on the weekends. I said, okay, great. So I'm standing in the record library one day and Blue comes in. And I don't know that, I don't know if you were with Blue or not that day. I think Blue came in with some, may have been by himself. Been Blue, by- I'm sorry. He probably was by himself at that time. Yeah. And this had to be like 72, 73. He comes in, he says, look, uh, I'm, I'm Blue Lovett of the Manhattans, and, and I've got this record, and I'd like to see if I could get it played. And uh, I, I looked at it, I looked at him, and I said, well, you know what? Uh, I'm the music librarian, so what I'll do is I'll take it into Frankie and tell Frankie that uh, I got it from you. I took it into the studio. Frankie started playing uh, the, the the record. Now, which record was that around that time? In 72? 72, 73. There's remember. no me without you. Okay. There's no me without you. A beautiful song. I mean, it, 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 was a, it, it was a beautiful song. It certainly was a hit around WBLS. Oh, so, yeah. how, so how, okay, tell us about that particular record. That song was written by uh, by the late Sonny Bivens, mm-hmm. and um, that was for for our audience. Sonny Bivens was one of the Manhattans. Exactly. I'm sorry. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now Sonny played guitar little, and believe it or not, that was the very first uh, song that we recorded on Columbia Record when we signed that deal in '72. Mm-hmm. That was the first song that we recorded, and. Um, it was a beautiful song because it it expressed the true love for the person that you were in love with. You know, I can't exist without you. I just, mm-hmm. I'm just, my, I'm just gone. You know, there's no house without a home. There's no man who wants to be alone. There's no child without a dream. There's no song without a meaning. 
That's how I know there's no me without you. And wow. so um, that song was our first goal at Columbia, took off. And also um, it became my theme song, our theme song, because we were able, from the lyrics and the story about that song, we just you know, just took it a little step further and mm -hmm. used it as a love for the people, who, our fans who support us, for all the DJs, all the radio stations, all the um, program directors. We use it as a theme to thank all of you for playing it and making us who we are. And today, even to this very day, the response to that song is awesome. Wow. Well, Gerald, we're going to take a break right now, and um, we will uh, come back with more stories about Gerald Austin and the fabulous uh, Manhattans. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, please remember to go to our website, harlemamerica.com, for our Black History articles, even though Black History is every day. And it's American history. We've got some wonderful articles there for you. And we'll be right back with Mr. Gerald Austin. I'm G. Keith Alexander. Thank you. Have you ever thought about hosting your own radio podcast to establish fame, fortune, and followers for your small business? People listen to them. They subscribe to them. And they love them. As a small black business owner, doesn't that sound like something you'd like to be a part of? Well, you can when you hire the radio podcast pros at Harlem America Digital Network. Imagine, you'll have a team of creative and technical professionals at your disposal and a one-hour weekly radio podcast to spread the word about your business. Making your business successful with its own media is not for the faint of heart, but it can happen with the Harlem America Radio Podcast Talk Show. Get a free consultation by emailing gkeithalexander at harlemamerica.com or call D. Daniels at 480-553-5741 today. Listening to Harlem America. I love it a lot. For entertainment. Check it out, check it out. Empowerment and health and wellness. Harlem America. The home of Glasso Smart Water is Harlem America. Harlem America. Where Coca Cola is helping you enjoy less sugar. You're listening to Harlem America, talking to the world from the heart and soul of New York. You're listening to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. To reach our show live today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Also, you can send an email to Alexander at harlemamerica.com. Now, back to the show. Thank you, Kimber. So, uh, we would like to remind you that you can download our mobile and TV app, Harlem America, uh, and you can, you know, sit on your sofa and watch us on TV, or you can uh, put us on your mobile and carry us around in your pocket and pull us out whenever you want. All right? That's Harlem America, our mobile and TV apps. So, Gerald, now, um, the next song after, uh, let's see, where, where do we leave off? We left off at um, There's No Me Without You. Okay, but the next song was what? The next song that 
oh my gosh, this is great. The next song, Frankie loved the album. And mm -hmm. the next song that he wanted us to release was Wish That You Were Mine. Mm. And Columbia went with another record. I forgot which record they went with after that. But he loved Wish That You Were Mine. Mm -hmm. And of course, Blue Lovett wrote that. And, and Blue always wrote he wrote, he had a, a way of writing songs about sneaking, falling out of love, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, he's kissing say goodbye guy too. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> he 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 dated a uh one of my college students uh friends, uh 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 this is a good friend of mine. We were at Ford University together and she uh -huh. was dating Blue. So uh, you know, I knew a little bit about Blue. Yeah. 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 But um, that was that was the next song that we wanted to release. We and we and it did. We got a lot of play off it from the album. Mm -hmm. But um, um, it never was released as a single. In fact, I think the second single um, from that from that album was um, I know in the UK it was hurt, um, and I think the second one. Was kiss and say goodbye? I believe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, was the mm -hmm. second? Was um no kiss and say goodbye was on the following album. I'm sorry, um, I'm getting them mixed up here, boy. <laughs> now you, you you told me yesterday that your memory was still good, so <laughs> it's good. It's good. <laughs> um, but I can't I can't write off remember. I think um it was there's no me without you. And um, what about uh, when did we never dance to a love song? We never danced to a love song was '77. That was released after "Kiss and Say Goodbye." Mm -hmm. "Kiss and Say Goodbye" was in in April of '76, mm -hmm. and um, and um, then on the next album, which was "It Feels So Good to Be Loved So Bad," mm -hmm. was when we released "We Never Danced to a Love Song." But you know what I was. Um, I, it goes back to my mind. I can remember, just like I told you on the very first song, I mean, mm -hmm. where the studio was Advantage Studios on Fifty Second and Eighth, I believe. The next album, which was There's No Me Without You, we recorded at uh, Sigma Sound in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. A studio was I think it was Two Twelve Race Street. And then um, we did basically our recording there up until um, um, There's No Good and Goodbye album, which we recorded at Total Experience in Los Angeles. But Bobby Martin produced it. We co-produced with Bobby Martin. And um, it was amazing to, um, when we recorded in Philly, to see all those musicians come in, Bobby Eli. Um, Earl Young, uh, Norman Harris, you know, um, it, these musicians came in and and um, you could tell that they loved what they were playing with the music that we recorded with them. Right. You could feel it from each one. And um, it, 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 I think one of the people that impressed me so much was Earl Young, because uh, I remember I remember where he even sat in the studio where his mm -hmm. drum was. And I remember that pickup. 
he had a, you know how sometimes on the bass drums, they to get a sound, they may tape something uh, on like a wallet or something. And Earl had a wallet taped on his floor tom to get a certain sound. Uh-huh. And I remember him playing the pickup of There's No Me Without You and those beautiful strings came in. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It was like, it was like heaven, you know. Um, and when we recorded that album, doing each time we recorded, there was so much going on at Sigma Sound mm-hmm. that we would have to go in and record like four or five songs rhythm-wise mm-hmm. and come back later because um, there were so many artists recording there. You know, the Spinners, Patti LaBelle, the Blue Notes, Harold Marvin and the Blue Notes, Lou Rawls, you know, uh, the Tramps. So it was somebody in and out the studio all the time. But that well, was the, the Manhattan. I'm sorry, go ahead. But that was just a great experience. And you took me down mm-hmm. when we started talking about it. Well, that's okay. That, that's okay. So of, of all the songs, um, which was the biggest? The biggest song that we ever had was Kiss and Say Goodbye. And it's we, that was the biggest song we had. Um, it sold totally over uh, 10 million copies over a period. Um, But our Grammy song was Shining Mm -hmm. Star. We were for the American Music Award and uh, we we got beat out by Debbie Boone. You Light Up My Life. um, Kiss and Say Goodbye was nominated. And um, we got lost in the Grammys with that. Uh-huh. I urge everyone to go out and get kiss and say goodbye and take a listen to that. But uh, the uh, so all right now, of all the songs that you had to sing or you sang, mm-hmm. which was your favorite? Out of all the songs that I recorded with Manhattans, I guess then we're going back again. Um over the years. For me, There's No Me Without You was the, my favorite song uh, because of what I said earlier about being able to express our thanks to our fans and um, radio, to the promotional staff. In fact, that year that There's No Me Without You was released, they had the CBS International Convention, and that was the theme for the International Convention. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no me without you. And we performed that song at the Fairmont Hotel with MFSB. Mm-hmm. And that was the thing. It, that was the opening day, the opening show. Oh my God. And I think not only that was the first time that I performed live with an orchestra. Was really? that yes, convention 1973. Well, okay. So when, when um, Eddie and um, Kenny and Blue passed away, 
How did that change your life? Oh my God. Um, that was, that was, uh, um, devastating because blue sunny passed away December 3rd, 2014. Mm -hmm. Blue passed away December 9th, 2014. Mm -hmm. And Kenneth passed away February 17th, 2015. And they were right behind each other. And wait, a minute. wait, give me those years again. Yeah, 2014, mm -hmm. December 3rd, 2014, mm -hmm. Bivens passed away. Mm -hmm. Bivens. And six days later, December 9th, Blue Lovett passed away. Mm -hmm. And on February 17th, Kenneth Kelly of 2015, Kenneth Kelly passed away. Mm -hmm. And they were the last three founding members of the group. And it was devastating. Um, even though Kenny wasn't with us, Blue and I had been singing together. Sonny never, he didn't come back. But mm -hmm. we all still had a relationship. We talked from time to time, you know, and um, it was it was devastating because these these guys were um, I knew them all my young young life when I started with the Manhattan's right out of college. That was that was my mentors. Those were the guys that guided me through this uh, time, and um, I lost all of them at the same time. Point of clarification: I I, I called um, Sonny by his first name Eddie, yeah, uh, but everybody called him Sonny. Sonny. Sonny yeah. So, uh, all right. So now, how did okay? So when Blue passed away, did did you have a vision for your future after that? I mean, did you have to you you had to make course corrections? Uh, exactly. And you know what was it, when I went to see Blue, I knew Blue had we played at a club in um, in Alexandria, Virginia, called the Birchmere. Mm -hmm. And Blue said, um, this will be my last show. And he, 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 he sprang that on you or he told yeah. the audience? Yeah, because Blue Blue passed away from cancer. Mm -hmm. And 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 it had returned. It had went in submission and then it, it came remission and then it came back. And so he's he was not doing well. And he said, Well, this will be my last show. I can't continue to travel on the road. So something in my heart told me after that show said, go to Phoenix. I got on the plane. I didn't call Blue. I just got on the plane and went to Phoenix. And when I got there, he was, um, I called his wife and she said, um, I said, don't tell him I'm here and I'm going to surprise him. And when I got there, he was, he was in bed mm -hmm. and he looked at me and he had it just, his whole face just lit up. <laughs> and, um, I said, um, I know I didn't tell you I was coming, so I got a hotel room. He said, you're not staying in a hotel. You're staying here. Mm -hmm. We need to talk. And so um, over a period of a week that I stayed, he said, um, most important thing I want you to know is that I'm passing the baton to you. Mm -hmm. said, you got to promise me you'll keep the legacy alive. I said, I will. And um, that's where the title of our new album came out, came from. And and I remembered when he said keep the legacy alive, he wanted to keep what we were doing, keep going on the same way. 
but advancing in the new production area of it, but mm-hmm. keep our style alive. And that's what, what I did. It, it, it really changed my life, and I grew up. In those, within those three to four months, I grew completely up to run the group by myself. And we had to audition singers. And um, so we auditioned different singers to, uh, to, to take Blue's place. But none of them worked because they came in and they wanted to be Blue. <laughs> you know, I needed a bass singer to stand to come in and but just like when I came in for the group, Richard told me when I first got in the group, Gerald, you can't be Smitty. You be Gerald. You sing these songs, but you be Gerald. Make them your songs. And so I needed somebody to come in, a bass singer to come in and be a bass singer. But, you know, pattern and look at what Blue did mm-hmm. so we can keep that thing going, but mm-hmm. be yourself. And we didn't find anybody. And and I, when I looked around, after we took some time and thought about it, Troy May was the perfect person. And Troy was already there. So mm-hmm. he his base is not as low as Blue. Um, but he took the, the uh, dialogue, all the talking parts of Blue. And then our guitar player, Mark Bowers, could sing the bottom note. And mm-hmm. Mark started singing the bottom note. Uh, on in the shows, and so it just it became myself, Troy, Dave Tyson, and Mark Bowers. And um, oh, my my cousin, I take that back. My cousin Edward Fields, mm-hmm. he we had we had four down front, but Mark was singing that bottom note, and um, uh, Dwight, my cousin Dwight was saying was saying the low note. He couldn't sing the bottom note like Blue, but he sang the note above blue the baritone. So mm-hmm. we 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 it worked perfectly for us. And then unfortunately, two years later, three years later, Dwight passed away. Mm. And so they just left Blue, myself, and David. And um and then in 2000 of um Dave passed in 2000 19, I believe. It was Ron Tyson's brother from the Temps. And they, uh-huh. so then that's when we got Lawrence, Lawrence Newton. So it's, it's mm-hmm. been a road, but you know, um, God never give us more than we can bear. When that happened, somebody was always there to step in. So you're still performing uh, as the, the Manhattans featuring uh, Gerald Lawson. Is that correct? Yes. Yep. And um, um, we had that was also that was a court battle because Sonny had a group and they were performing as the Manhattans and we went back and forth. So um, we the, it, it, the 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 verdict from the judge was that nobody could use the Manhattans by itself. Mm-hmm. They would have to use the Manhattans of Sonny Bivens and. I had to use the Manhattans featuring Gerald Alston, which Blue and I first, when when it was the um, the judgment was made, it was the Manhattans featuring Blue Lovett and Gerald Alston. Then mm-hmm. when after Blue passed it, we just kept it as the Manhattans featuring Gerald Alston. 
Well, who actually owned the name in originally the Manhattan? It was the five of the the um, four. Well, Richie passed away. It was the four of us: myself, Kenny, Blue, um, and Sonny. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I think the way it happened, the way it was resolved, was great because um, we didn't want anybody not of the four of us not mm-hmm. to be a part of the Manhattans and not to be able to carry that legacy. And the way it worked out, it worked out great. Fantastic. Well, we're going to take another short break and we're going to come back with some more stories. Um, I want to remind everybody that the this August, remember, Harlem Week is coming up. Harlem Week is coming up and we're going to have a great time here in Harlem. Have you ever been to Harlem Week? Oh, Girl. yes. I performed at Harlem Week. All right. So, yeah. So uh, this uh, Harlem Week is going to be fantastic. So you'll be hearing more about that from the Greater Harlem Chamber of Commerce. And I'm G. Keith Alexander. This is What's Hot Harlem America. And we'll be right back with Mr. Gerald Austin. Have you ever thought about hosting your own radio podcast to establish fame, fortune, and followers for your small business? People listen to them, they subscribe to them, and they love them. As a small black business owner, doesn't that sound like something that you'd like to be a part of? Well, you can when you hire the radio podcast pros at Harlem America Digital Network. Imagine you'll have a team of creative and technical professionals at your disposal and a one-hour weekly radio podcast to spread the word about your business. Making your business successful with its own media is not for the faint at heart, but it can happen with a Harlem America radio podcast talk show. Get a free consultation by emailing gkeithalexander at harlemamerica.com or call D. Daniels at 480-5535. 741 today. Harlem, America. It's about Harlem. Harlem is my town. Carver Bank, where 80% of every dollar is reinvested in the community. Harlem, America. The home of Coca Cola Zero. You're listening to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. To reach our show live today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Also, you can send an email to gkeithalexander at harlemamerica.com. Now, back to the show. Thank you so very, very much. And don't forget to download your Harlem America app for your phone or your TV. We're on Roku, Apple, Android, and... um, uh, Amazon Fire TV, yes. So anyway, let me just uh, let you know that uh, Gerald Austin uh, with the Manhattans uh, is with us uh, this afternoon, and we are going to uh, dig in further to the history of the Manhattans. But also, there's something I, I wanted to ask you. There seemed to be some some controversy or mix-up or, you know, when I say controversy or mix-up, meaning that um, there were, like, two versions of Kiss and Say Goodbye. Did did Barry White do a version? No. um, It was the version, Blue wrote Kiss and Say Goodbye. Mm -hmm. And actually, what happened was there was a country and western artist. I did not know the name, his name. I don't remember his name did a version of Kiss and Say Goodbye. And I remember Blue bringing the record in. 
and the guy had his name at the bottom as the writer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. And they, they, between our manager, between the group and and Columbia Records, mm-hmm. squash real quick. Really? Wow. Well, you know, I I was doing some research, and when I when I Googled "Kiss and Say Goodbye," it, it, it they said Barry White had a version of Barry White did something. You know something? I saw that, I, but that was really, um, I think it was somebody just didn't know. Or, oh, okay. You they, know, didn't, they didn't recognize Blue's voice. They thought that that was uh, Barry White. Right, they thought it was Barry White because um, Blue did used to get there a lot about man. You sound like Barry White. <laughs> and he was a great guy. We worked with him. Yeah, we we worked with him. Uh, Frankie and I we used to do uh, uh, concerts uh, at uh, Madison Square Garden. At that time, was the 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 uh, the Palladium, the the smaller room or something like yeah. that. And uh, Barry used to to uh, put on the shows and stuff. And um, actually, before Barry White. I might as well take, tell this story. Before Barry White became Barry White, I had a little talk show on teleprompter TV. That's when cable first came out and they had the public access for people. And I had a, uh, a TV show. Uh, it was called um, Alexander Here. And mm-hmm. one of the people I interviewed was Barry White. And he had a big afro and he uh, wore a, uh, looked like a rayon shirt with, uh, with, uh, uh, I, I don't know what it was on, on the shirt, but uh, I'm, I'm interviewing him. And I said, so uh, how do you see your future, Barry? And he says, well, G. Keith, all I want to do is make three albums and then retire and manufacture children's toys. Mm. Well, we know that didn't happen. It got I so hope. good. He <laughs> got so good becoming a, uh, a, a music star. He never retired to make those children's toys. But uh, yeah, so that's my Barry White story. So now you and the Manhattans did Marvin Gaye's tour. Yes. What was that like? Tell us about that. That was um, during the time Marvin was going through his, his situation in life. And, but it was, what was so amazing about it, we started in Newark at Brendan Byrne Arena. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I didn't know that Marvin was paying even paying attention because I didn't meet him until we got to Rochester. Mm -hmm. And so, but he had been watching, watching me and, and, uh, you know, talking. I mean, you know, when he come in, he, he knew the guys Mm -hmm. and I know that blue and Richie and Kenny had had an opportunity to talk to him, but he's, he, most of the time he came in and went straight to the dressing room. So we were in, the night we played Rochester, um, it was a great show. And the next morning, I was flying back to New York, Manhattan, and I'm standing about three gates from him, three or four gates from him. And this lady walked up to me and asked me, she said, could I get your autograph? I said, sure. And she said, oh, my God, is that Marvin Gaye? I said, yeah, that's him. She said, do you think he'll give me an autograph? So I said, he probably will. Let's walk down there and see. So we walked down, and I introduced myself to Marvin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I said, Marvin, I'm Gerald. He said, I know who you are. <laughs> he said, you are one of the best singers I've seen. Wow. And when he told me that, I never had a big head <laughs> that day. 
I had a big head. I didn't care what anybody said. My head could have exploded, could have knocked the walls down at Rochester Airport. <laughs> and I still feel that today. And later on, I was talking to one of the guys in the group, and mm -hmm. they Marvin was the type of guy that if he gave you a compliment, he meant it. Mm -hmm. He wasn't the type of guy to say or say something new he didn't mean. You know, mm -hmm. uh, if he couldn't say nothing good about you, he wouldn't say nothing at all. Mm -hmm. And because uh, Richard had been real close to him, and he said that when he said that to you, he meant that. And I could <laughs> I could feel it, you know. And I watched him for the whole tour, and even though. He was going through changes in his life. I never, ever, ever, that whole summer, I never heard his voice crack one time. I never heard anything stop him from performing to the max. Good. You know, and um, the last show that I did with him, we did with him, was at the Greek. Mm -hmm. he, he did sexual healing. He went off and the band played an interlude. And he came back on with these silk pajamas, <laughs> smoking jacket, and an ascot, and bedroom shoes. And mm. he turned the Greek theater out. And uh, we stayed in touch for a while. He, we, he and I stayed in touch, and we talked. And um, it, was a, it was a good relationship I had with him. He was interested in me. He was interested in my voice and singing. And he mm. wanted to write some things for, for me, um, which I would have naturally would have done with the group. But he was he was interested, and unfortunately, um, he, he you know he passed away that April. Wow! Um, in touch, yeah. So, give me a funny uh, story about the Manhattans. Uh, you know, you guys uh, went around the country and uh, talked to everybody twice and spoke to everybody uh uh you know i mean in in, in saying to everybody uh there had to be some funny stories uh well the first story that was funny we played a club in new orleans and blue used to have his money in his sock and blue had a little bit of legs so we were on stage in in new orleans at this club and a big wad of money jumped out of blue sock fell on the floor <laughs> we were just singing. So I reached down to pick it up and hand it to him. Mm -hmm. Said, brother, you didn't drop nothing. Don't pick a damn thing up. <laughs> the audience fell out. <laughs> <laughs> and I, that was one that took me away he, when he said that. He stopped singing. He stopped doing everything. And uh, But I think the, the funniest part, funniest time that I remember, mm -hmm. we in Germany, mm -hmm. and um, we, I was we um, when they was filming us. The director had left um, ink pen on the stage, mm -hmm. and we started singing. And, and we were doing um, uh, "Searching for Love," and my foot slipped and I almost fell, and I began I, I became paranoid, and we went. Next um, few days later, we played Rotterdam, and it was before a big orchestra. Um, it was it was like a black tie event, and we did Searching for Love, and I went down on that side, you know, 
the way we did a set where I go to the left and they go to the right. Mm-hmm. And I, but when I went to the left, I fell and I fell. Oh. And when I fell backwards, all, my legs went straight up in the air and all the audience could see was my behind. And you, when I, <laughs> when I looked around at the guys in the band, some of the guitar player, the bass player, they had turned around, they turned their backs to me. They were dying. Man. <laughs> they were dying. And the audience was like, oh. Mm. And I got up and I just got up and kept singing. Go but ahead, your bad self. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Incredible. So, you know, we're winding down, and this has been great that you and I have had this chance to uh, to have this conversation. But let me ask you this. Do you have any regrets? Anything you had to give up to become Gerald Lawson? I mean, you know, uh, anything. You know, I, I was just talking about that. My wife and I was talking. And I look at the good, the not so good, the rough times, the not so good times. If I had it to do, if I had it to do again, I would do it again. Um, because it's been a good journey. Uh, I've learned a lot. I learned um, respect for my, even, I always respect my fellow man, but I learned a, 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 a different kind of respect for myself, for my peers, and, um, and, and for my life, period, you know. Um, and, and I learned that it's not the artists with the biggest records and the hottest records that last a long time. It's the artist that's consistent, the artist that's humble to his fans, humble to radio, humble to their their support team, their promotion team, you know. Mm-hmm. And I learned over the years that you have to be humble, you know, because our fans are not, uh, we're not doing, and let me get this right. I said so many times, um, we're not doing our fans a favor when we perform for them. They're doing us a favor by coming to see us. You're down. You're right. There you go. And, and that's where there's no me without you come at, come in, you know. And um, that's that's what I learned. And you know, with the grace of God, I am so thankful. I am so thankful, you know, um, about how I came through, how it worked over the years. Because everything that happened that wasn't good, I learned a lesson from it. Mm-hmm. You know, and the things that were good, you know, it just added on. That was just the gravy on top, you know. And uh, most of all, I learned humility. Humility, you know. And it, it, I didn't do it by myself. It took um, the guys in the group. It took uh, radio DJs and and. Uh, air personalities like yourself, like the Frankie Crockers, um, you know, uh, Bobby Bennett. I could go on and name all and all uh, all the DJs that were on RL and BLS, Vaughn Hopper, you know, um, mm-hmm. Frankie mm-hmm. Crocker. These were uh, the people. You all were a great portion of our lives to where we are. This is our going on our sixty third year and without wow. you all playing our music and talking to our fans and letting them know you know the the things that you all said 
when you played the record back in the day when you could run it back and play it twice, <laughs> you know, those things you had a you had a following at, at the time that you were on there. Oh wow, G, 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 did you hear what G Keith just said about the Manhattan's record? And then you got your whole group of fans that listen to you every day would buy that record, would listen to that record and take your word for that record. And we didn't do it by ourselves. Thank you. Thank you. all of us. Well, you're quite welcome, and uh, you're very much deserving of all the the accolades. And uh, tell folks where they can hear your voice uh, in the upcoming days. We've got about a minute left. Okay, we we you can go to our Facebook page. Let's just kiss and say goodbye, and follow us. Follow our schedule, our tour schedule. We're also on Instagram, um, and our tour dates are on, on both. Um, but uh, we're going to we're Kind of, we're off this time. We had a tour that that some of the dates got canceled, but it's, it's a blessing because I'm home with my wife and my family, and I get a chance to to catch up because I had a I've been under the weather in June, January, so it's a chance for me to recuperate. Mm -hmm. We're going to to um, uh, we're planning in, in Auburn, Washington, on the 28th, and then um, we're coming back and prepare for our tour. We got a big tour coming up in May, and we got scatter dates in, uh, you know, like in April um, into May. So Fantastic. But you can find those dates on our website. Great. Well, thank you so very, very much, Gerald, for uh, being my special guest today. We finally worked it out. And God bless you, and uh, say hello to the rest of the guys. And uh, you have a great day and a better one tomorrow. Thank you, G. Keith, and thank you so much for just being a part of our success. I'm, I'm telling you, I remember you from back, <laughs> 70s back, and I thank you so much for your support as well. You're quite welcome. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank, thank you very, very much for uh, listening and watching. You'll, th this will eventually get on to our uh, Harlem America app. But uh, don't forget to check out our HarlemAmerica.com uh, site regularly because we've got new events coming up and uh, we've got articles about black history and uh, don't forget that the Greater Harlem Chamber of Commerce will be uh, producing Harlem Week in August. Alright, thank you so much. I'll see you next Friday. Thanks for listening to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. We'll be back next Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 1 p.m. in New York on the Voice America Variety Channel and the Harlem America Digital Network. Thank you for listening.